everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 16th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. We're again in my house in Sunnyvale, still quarantined, but ready to go. My name is Mike Malone, and I've been covering this town longer than anybody. I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman, business and tech reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host for this podcast is, as always, the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, let's go. I want to start, first of all, with this. I mean, it's all over the airwaves today. You can't call it censorship because it's not legally censorship. But you're a, you're a journalist. I've been a journalist for 40 years. You see a story that you know is the biggest thing out there. And then you turn on TV, and it's not being covered. You know, the America's oldest paper comes out with this story. Now, you may not like the New York Post, but it's actually a legitimate major national newspaper that's been around for 200 years. It comes out with a devastating story. Now, we all know what it is now. It's a Hunter Biden story. Right. And suddenly, Twitter won't carry it. Facebook sort of shuts it down, but Twitter completely shuts it down. And then the news outlets turn around and say, well, if Twitter shuts it down, it's not a legitimate story. I mean, the, the cycle went backwards into this kind of weird, it's literally a, a vicious cycle. And I, I'm just appalled. I mean, I'm like I told you before, I'm a fourth generation newspaper man. I know a good story when I see one. <laughs> And when, it's, when it disappears, I have to ask, what is going on here? You know, you could take pretty much any couple of days in 2020 and say, wow, it's been a bizarre couple of days for yeah. social media. It has been a bizarre couple of days for social media, and this has been at the forefront of it. I mean, the New York Post is, is not what it once was. I mean, True. you know, public enemy fans will know what a lot of people think of the New York Post. But you're right, it comes out with this story on Hunter Biden. Twitter censors it, which was interesting, not just because it censored the story, but because of what it has led through in the past. I think, and, and Facebook also even more famously than and Twitter. Twitter even shut down anybody who mentioned the story. It's, it's a strange thing that, that this happened with one story, and even if that story, uh, you know, had holes, which again, it, it apparently did, lots of holes, what surprises me is up to this point what Facebook and Twitter have let through. You know what I mean? Yes. What they are okay with right. and what they are open well, with. Well, the problem is we, we recently had a story hacked of income tax returns of another candidate. <laughs> yes. And they got trumpeted everywhere, literally. Uh, so we know that that kind of story can get through, and yet... This one didn't, and this one has photographs. I mean, I was remember I was an investigative reporter. I remember sitting down with lawyers on some of these stories, and they would go through every sentence with excruciating detail, saying, "Do you have paper on this? Can you back this up? Do you have photographs?" And it was like, "Well, no. We know it's true, but no." And they go, "Okay, that's out," right. and they just slash the story to pieces. But this I mean, one, I'm looking at photographs. I mean, I can go to the Daily Mail. Photographs from Rudy Giuliani, who yes, apparently but, got it from some shadowy source. I mean, we don't yeah, really know. Yeah, but I don't think the gentleman in question, lying asleep in bed with a crack pipe in his mouth, I don't think that got photoshopped. I mean, 
I mean, it's gotten to the point that if we want to learn American news, we go to suspect British papers. You can go to the, you can go to the Daily Mail and get everything you want. Uh, so, I, I mean, this is starting to sound like tyranny. I mean, I, I hate to use that word, but it's like, you know, German newspapers saying, oh, the, the army's doing great outside Stalingrad and, and the Soviet Union, oh, the five-year plan, we're exceeding it. You know, and China's like, oh, the harvest has come in bigger than ever. I mean, at what point, I mean, when they start depending upon each other, they're justifying their behavior by the behavior of others. Well, and, and okay. even Dorsey admitted, we right. kind of blew this one. Well, because in Dorsey's mind, what you had just said, the sentence would have ended with, if we want to find out what's going on in the news, we can do it on Twitter. Yeah. Because that's where, whether it's the New York Post or the New York Times or NBC or ABC or Fox or whatever, that's where they go to post their stories first because the audience is so big and instantaneous right. and it shares. You know, people will share your news for free, right. which, trust me, as someone who always relied on that box, yeah, to have people share the news for free is an amazing revelation, but you have to be accurate, and if you're Twitter, I think you have to be consistent. And this has been a week where they've showed real inconsistency. Yes. And and Facebook, to me, and, and I've, I've been on this train for a long time, has been wildly inconsistent for years in what they show and what they don't show, and that's why you have both sides, left and right, claiming censorship and claiming they've been treated unfairly, because they've managed to make nobody happy right twitter at least is where these news organizations will say we'll post our so story. what is the only consistent position i think it is the first amendment it's free press it's freedom of speech right i mean i'm not well, even sure you can you should censor whatever the president of the united states tweets whoever the president is i mean even if the president of the united states is wrong that is the elected representative of the American people. And Twitter's recent move has been, okay, if we know the president is wrong, we are at least going to start saying, well, here's information that's well, right. Well, sure, flag it. Is that, is that censorship? No, because you're at least letting the person speak. Right. And, and that seems is, to be what, what Twitter is doing now, taking down QAnon posts. Right. Uh, I mean, some would say that's censorship. Others would say, well, you're, you're pretty much saving lives because these guys are really dangerously out right. there. Right. Uh, but then again, where is the line? But oftentimes that crazy guy screaming stuff running down the street has an element of truth in what he's saying, you know? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, as, an, as a journalist, I'm really concerned about the trend going on. Well, one trend that this has led to, even in the last couple of days, because not only has there been this back and forth and much screaming on the right of Twitter right. censoring, uh, Twitter went down yesterday for 90 minutes, just flat out went away. And that was a big move. Uh, apparently this and apparently the Republicans continued running. Yeah, somehow. Somehow. Yeah. Maybe even better. So I heard from some of the sites that were seen as, say, right-wing sites, a la Gab and Parlay, they're seeing record numbers, even within the last 24 hours. Right. People are saying, we're fed up with this, we're going there. Uh, now, do those big numbers over there eventually lead to the same concerns? I don't know. So far, those sites have been much smaller than Twitter and Facebook. They're starting to gain a lot because of the outage, because of the outrage. Well, if you start seeing them working as gatekeepers on information too, there we go. then they deserve the same fate. 
you know, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm a purist on this. I don't care what you say or what position you come from. You have a right to say it. Because maybe that guy turns out to be running down the street yelling, Soylent Green is people. You know, I mean, <laughs> we, we run into a situation where we're now letting private organizations, private corporations make crucial decisions. Now, should they be censored? Should we punish them? for what they're doing when they actually have the right to censor, to stop anything they want. At some point in history of the United States, we have clamped down on corporations that have gotten too big and powerful, even though they've done nothing truly illegal. And you got to wonder at some point, do these big guys get broken? Well, there or, are awful Or lot. they revoke Section 230. Uh. That yeah, I think would be FCC's pretty... FCC's moving in that direction, boy. Yeah, I mean, and and I understand why there are a lot of I'd just say young people, but not even young people, people of all ages that are in this political season, spouting truths, and I put that in quotes yeah. that they get from Instagram or Facebook, um, and they should know better. And and again, my edict on this has always been. You know, you can get your news from Twitter and that's great, but don't get political information from social media. Don't think you're learning facts. But our society is. I Increasingly know. is. And doesn't that mean these sites have so, a responsibility? Yeah, well, the, so the de facto situation is, yeah, these you shouldn't be getting this information from there, but a sizable percentage of people in the United States, maybe they've always been this way, says there are certain things that other people shouldn't see. We're allowed to say it because, you know, we're enlightened. We're right. the, you know, we're the good people. But the bad people should not be allowed to see this because it might provoke bad behavior on their part. But then who gets to be the arbiter of this stuff? And traditionally, it was the people themselves that put it all out there, let people decide. Now it's increasingly, you see these polls, more Americans say, and I think it's because it's just a sheer tsunami of information coming at us, but are saying, no, no, there are certain things that should not be allowed to be said. I think the phone on its own is, is different than 5G. Yeah. You know, the phone is impressive. Phones are, are just flat out impressive, whether you yeah. get an Android, you get a Samsung. They're masterpieces Android. of our time. Yeah, I mean, they really are flat out computers that are just amazing. They're everything. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the, the screens, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's almost a shame. Oh, I, I was going to say on a plane. I haven't been on a plane in yeah. <laughs> damn near planes. a year. Oh, but, I've seen those going overhead. <laughs> but I've, I've been on many planes where I see, especially young people, watching a movie on like a six-inch screen yeah. because the screen is so good. Yes. And I'm like, oh, you really should see that on something bigger because, you know, David Fincher had a vision, you know, or whatever. But um, they're impressive. And, and the arms race, if you will, of phones is good for the consumer. Oh, I love check arms races. Yeah, and um, you know that said, they're they're getting awfully expensive. The one thing I, I was wrong in predicting is that all this intense competition would eventually lower prices, right? Yeah. I mean, we you know we see that in cars, we see that in yeah, but it's always a matrix of so. size, performance, and price, and you can't move all three of them down at the same time. You're right. But so right now they're just driving performance. When you get to the point where the performance starts to peak, plateau out because we don't have the next generation of chips, then the price starts dropping. That makes sense. And, and yet, uh, you know, one nod to Apple, 
that, that I thought was the most important thing, and obviously it was the least sexy thing of the day because we have new phones and new designs yeah. and new technology, but the fact that they're keeping not only um, you know, the 11s uh, and the Xs and even the SE, this is a $400 phone. Yeah. A $400 Apple phone, iPhone, that does everything you'd ever want, and it's 400 bucks. Right. That's important in a time of recession. Yes, it is. And so Apple can say, here's the newest thing, and if you want to spend 1200 bucks, go do it. It also gets you into new markets in the rest of the world. Absolutely. And um, these, these smaller phones, and, and I think it's significant that in the 12 lineup, and there are four 12s, yeah. one of them is the Mini. And that, again, is way sub $1,000, and that's so important because you're getting all this new technology and speed and eventually 5G and all that right. stuff. But you're doing it at a, a reasonable price. So for is a this cell phone. a stripped down version? Has well, the, it, it has doesn't. Has the four cylinder engine? And the, <laughs> uh, you know, it still has the. Well, all right, it may not have the the ultra bionic chip, but it's still right. a fast phone. Yeah, it's just in sure. a small form factor. I mean, factor. fast is relative. When you get to the twelve Pro Max, yeah. Honest to God, Michael, and I know I'm not a photographer or anything. You could run sack off. There of were it. terms I'd never heard before about this. They have lidar in there. Really. That's something we know about cars, yes. because it tells you how far the object is by you know light. That's in the 12 Pro Max. This is a phone that honestly, if I got it, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And I love a good camera, and I I use my phone camera all the time. Now for I work. know some of the analysts on on uh, TV news and all and elsewhere notice that unlike past Apple introductions, which usually talk about the customer experience. This one was real technology features oriented. It was like a shift in their presentational style. I mean, we still had everybody in black t-shirts, but I mean, <laughs> but it was it was kind of a techie announcement as opposed to a, gee, everybody, look at this wonderful new thing for consumers. You're right. I mean, the two guests, you know, Apple obviously brings out a lot of Apple employees to speak. Yeah. And the men and women do their thing. Uh, the two guests that stuck out, one uh, was the head of Verizon. And that very much disappointed me because it sounded like a Verizon commercial. Sure. And that's rare for Apple. Apple will give, you know, Electronic Arts or Adobe or whoever the floor to talk about how yeah. wonderful the iPhone is always, and how it saves. Always. You know, there'd be no Adobe without, right? You know, and, and they sort of kissed the ring. Verizon came out and talked about how great Verizon 5G is. I was really surprised. Uh, but then, um, you know, and they also bring out gamers. Someone came out to show off how these games look on the phone, and it was, I mean, these screens look really <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Even as I'm sitting in a car on my laptop <laughs> taking notes, I'm like, ooh, right. this is going to be, for gamers, um, a step up because of this chip, sure. much like people are excited about whatever NVIDIA is going to yeah, do. No, it, I mean, it's, it's challenging all the game platforms. Yeah, and, and that's important, um, but I think just as important as all this incredible new technology is the fact that there's a price point that will keep it i mean many people like myself are walking around with cracked three and a half year old iphones of course we are saying it's time to upgrade yeah but am i going to spend on something where i don't even i don't even think i'd be able to properly use it no not necessarily yeah you know i, I mean, want that, a good camera the thousand I want dollar price point is just seems to be that's that separates the men from the boys on that one but it almost seems like we're there now and we're yeah. not going to go back well and you know in theory you can sell for a while, until people assimilate the experience, you can say, look at all the stuff this replaces. 
you right. know, how that's much true. how much are we paying for a game platform? That's true. Okay, subtract that from the total price of this. You're right. And and I again I, I want to make clear, I, I don't mind the new technology. In fact, that's my job is to look for this stuff. And I was not let down. Yeah. Um, but given the time, you know, Apple read the room and also said you can get a really solid capable right. iPhone for 400 bucks with the SE. And even the 12 comes in a small factor. The, the laugh out loud moment, and it was sad because I'm all alone in a you know, news <laughs> truck watching this, but I did laugh out loud when at one point, um, whoever it was that was showing off the mini said, and get this, you can hold it in your hand. And I thought, that's what we've come to? <laughs> we've come all the way back. We're pimping our phones by saying you can hold it in your hand? Yeah. Like, wait, where else am I gonna hold this thing? So it's, there's a lot of hyperbole still, even in a virtual event. So I'm trying to get to, is there, do you sense something shifting at Apple? Is this a, is this a continuation, an extrapolation of where they've been for the last twenty years, or, I mean, the, the product comes out delayed, you know, it the orientation of the presentation is different. They're price bombing now, or at least not price bombing, but at least they're, they're offering low cost versions, kind of a mass market version. Is Apple changing in some fundamental way? Yeah, because it's no longer the, we're really proud to have 3% of the market. Yeah. You know, we're arrogant about that 3% because we only have the creme de la creme right. that are going to buy the Max. I remember those days. Right. Now, not After only After they are had they, 87%. Well, well the, the Macs are not only mainstream, but the iPhones are everywhere. Yeah. And so you almost have a responsibility at that point to... to Put the lower price out because come on yeah. it's hard to be arrogant in a recession um and if i and i'm speaking well, once from, you become the mass marketer it changes your corporate philosophy and your culture yes in because, important ways yes because if a 14 year old is going to get a phone uh -huh. and that 14 year old and i might be speaking from personal experience <laughs> here is someone who might lose her phone yeah the father and mother might want to get an se because you're not you know, mortgaging the house to get your kid a phone. Right. I mean, the payment plans are enough. So you've got someone in the Apple ecosystem for a much lower price. And that's important when you're a mass market True. company that Apple now is. And it hasn't been that long since Apple went from arrogantly 3% to we want to sell everybody five devices. Well, then do you, when you start mass marketing, do you still go through your traditional channels that you've been successful in the past or you start selling them in supermarkets? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, they did hit Best Buy, right? Yeah. And that's a surprise. Yes. Uh, because the Best Buy experience is a lot different from the Apple Store experience. And that changes the whole game. I watched that happen at Hewlett Packard. Oh, yeah, good example. You know, I mean, when they shipped it to printers and all of a sudden they were selling them everywhere. Right, but again, it's, it's almost hard to get away from that. I mean, Jobs, Steve Jobs, that, that might be the one thing when people are like, oh, Jobs wouldn't do this or that. He'd probably do everything but he might keep it to just the Apple stores. Yeah. Because he that the experience. Yeah. Yes. And because you can't control the experience in Best Buy. Right. You might be able to put a kiosk up that's a little different than the rest of the place. It's still, but it's not an Apple right. experience, not the Apple store. Right. You know? Right. And and I think that was very important to Jobs was that, you know, even the even the packaging has to be a certain way. So it is different to um buy a phone, whether in an AT&T store or a Verizon store or a Best Buy, than the Apple experience. But come on, the Apple stores are getting crowded. <laughs> and That's I mean, pre-pandemic, you know, these, these things are, 
it's 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 a challenge when you're a super mass so, market company. So do you create a separate? This is I, we'll we'll stop in a moment okay. here, but I'm curious. I want to continue this. Do you start another brand? I mean, mm. you if you want to maintain your exclusivity, like your Fender guitar, right. what do you do? You don't come you don't come out with cheapo Stratocasters. You come out with Squire. Stratocasters. Very good example. I'd throw out uh, Lexus from Toyota. Yes. Uh, what's the Nissan did? Um, it was Infinity. Yeah, thank you, Infinity. Yeah. Right. Um, sort of a spin-off upmarket brand. Upmarket brand. Nokia tried to do that, I remember. Yeah. Uh, with a super expensive phone at the time, and this goes back some. They were like, ooh, $1,000 phone. Well, obviously, Apple's got the high ground. Yeah. Do you come out with some other clever name that everybody knows, well, it's got Apple Guts in it, but it's a low price version. I don't know. I think you just call that the Apple SE and, and please the people who need to buy a phone for their teenager. Yeah, or but I think at some point when you're, you know, you're picking up your, your Apple phone at Office Depot. Mm, I see. You know. Maybe they won't. Maybe they don't need to do that. We'll see. I mean, they're selling a ton of phones. Yeah. And uh, as we speak right at this moment, you can pre-order the new 12. Yeah. Um, and I imagine by the end of the day, we'll have some numbers on that. I'm just thinking long term. Of course, you can always do it virtually. You can create a whole new reality on the web for this lower priced line that still has, you know, the, the Apple look and feel, but it doesn't have the entire experience. True. But I mean, one of the things Apple has managed to do, and look, this is a $2 trillion company. They're doing some things right, is they've managed to keep that kind of exclusive feeling. Yes among users, even though those users are constantly surrounded by other people who have the same thing. Right. And that's hard. Yeah. Somehow, you know, I mean, I remember the first time you people pulled out their iPhones and everyone, <gasps> right. you know, well, it was and, like, and they've lost a little bit of that, but it's still residual amount, you know, it's still there. Yeah. And they still managed to be cool. I, I, and I don't know how they do it, but I remember as, you know, a, a young person going to like getting tickets to see like Smashing Pumpkins because they're the cool indie band. Right. And then they fill out, you know, fill the whole shoreline and you're like, how does an indie band yeah. get that successful yeah. and still manage to stay cool? And Apple is really trying to be that. Right. And that's a tough gig, but they've so far... And managed. it's dangerous because when it goes, it goes. Right. You know, when, when Smashing Pumpkins lost it, R.E.M. lost it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on. Facebook. Facebook backs off. Bans Holocaust denial posts. Yeah, well, this is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, Facebook is... You oh, might... also anti-vax stuff. Right. Uh, Holocaust denial post banned on Monday, anti-vax ads banned on Tuesday of this week. Um, and the cynic would say, oh, now Facebook is kowtowing to the left because they realize Biden is in the lead as opposed to the conservatives. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this was something that... But, I mean, if you ban this stuff, they ban, they ban all the Holocaust stuff in Germany... Right. But there's an underground of Mein Kampf and, and protocols, the elders of Zion and all that stuff right. operates in this, operates sub rosa, which is more dangerous, I think, than just having it in the bookshelf. You could say that, but if it's in the bookshelf, if it's on Facebook, it is on everybody's computer. And True. we know that there are people, unfortunately, who are um, liable to buy into stuff because they read it online. So Facebook is doing a bit of a, not just mea culpa, but a backing away, saying, not in my backyard. We know there are going to be neo-Nazis out there. We know there are going to be anti-vaxxers saying, oh, don't vaccinate your kids. We just don't want it on our site. 
it's almost a shade of you know what people want. Well, with no, I can, and they're allowed to do that legally. They're allowed to do that. I'm just right. asking larger cultural issues. But we, we have we have more than seventy five percent of African Americans in the United States who are saying right now they will not take the COVID vaccine. Okay, somehow that word is getting out, and it's getting out in odd ways. Uh, something like sixty percent of all Americans will not take that vaccine when it appears. Well, look. So does this help? I mean, banning banning conversations about it, does it help or does it actually drive the fear underground and it, it metastasizes down there? I don't know, because if it metastasizes underground, it's a smaller thing than if it metastasizes on Facebook. Look, you and I have been Californians for a long time. This is the first time where in California people are saying, I don't know if I should mail in my ballot. Yeah. Right? Something that has worked perfectly since yes. it started. And all of a sudden... But it is a different kind of mail-in, you must admit. Oh, come I on. mean, I, 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 I have filed, you know, my, my votes, uh, you know, which you have to put it, you have to request it, and then you get it back and go through all those... Mail-in balloting works. And the well, only it, reason that people are even doubting it is because it's now in the public discourse because... There's a candidate out there that doesn't, you know. Well, we're going to get the ultimate test in about 19 days. Look, I mailed yeah. in my ballot. I didn't even, I, I, you know, in my household, we were divided. Yeah. My wife said, nope, got to go to the, got to go to the place and turn it in. I said, I'm a Californian. We're Californians. <laughs> I'm going to mail it in within a, two days. I got the text message. It's been filed. It's been counted. It's been tracked. It works. Hey, I'm uh, not going to let the naysayers deny my mail-in you know, I, But I never <laughs> had any trouble with absentee ballots. No, nobody has. Nobody has. They work. And when the girls were small, we went to the local church because I wanted them to see what it was like to vote. This is what we do. This is the democratic process. Right. Then get they your, got older and rolled their eyes. Girls. And I said, yeah. all right, I'll just mail it in. And it's always worked. And granted... Because we're in California, we don't have to stand in line for six, seven hours. I'm getting right. off topic here. But yes. it works, and that's part of the problem with Facebook. It has convinced people that um, we're not anti-Semitic or that believed yeah, in vaccinations. that all of a sudden, it, or do, you, or do you argue against it? That's a tough hill to climb because think how many people, and Twitter is trying to do this. Yeah. If there's a post that's blatantly false, it will say, here's some actual information about mail-in ballots that shows you that they work. We hashed this out at the beginning of the podcast. I don't. We know hashed this out a year ago. We were yeah. talking about who will guard the guardians. Yeah, and we're know? still going to talk about this because these social media companies right. are getting even bigger and more powerful. Okay, we got. We'll keep moving on. Amazon just bought a big chunk of land in San Jose for its uh, AWS unit. Yeah, this is interesting because people are moving out of the Bay Area. Yeah, uh, companies, you know, because it's expensive, and now you can work from home. Amazon says we're going to do a little more in the Bay Area, which. Um, Bunch of jobs. Yeah, and, and that's good. It, and it's jobs, if, if it's probably for their AWS unit, it won't be jobs that you need a PhD for, right? I mean, these right. are, you know, and then if that means construction, means, uh, and, and that's really good for the economy because those are the jobs getting hit the most. And that sort of infrastructure is what is going to bring us back right. post-pandemic, I think. Okay, uh, real quick. Uh, heard from Grove. Uh, he noted that, uh, it's doing bio and other things, that Chinese companies are buying U.S. buying up U.S. fertility clinics. What's that all about? He thinks it might be because uh, it's data, patient data. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, let's see the. Um, Imagine the ads we're going to get once that data. Oh yeah. Valid. Pfizer has filed for emergency use of their uh, 
new vaccine by late November. So these claims that it might take till, till spring, we may see it faster than ever. And a kind of a spinoff of that is that uh, Aligos Therapeutics has just filed for a $150 million IPO. They're working on Hep B vaccine and other antivirals. I think this sort of world rush towards developing new antiviral vaccines is going to have all sorts of secondary payoffs that we can't imagine yet. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a company in the Bay Area with stage three and they, a stage three trial, yeah. and they were working with GlaxoSmithKline, I believe, right? So one of the ways we see in years past biotech runs are big companies buying up smaller companies right. or the smaller companies getting big enough to IPO. Um, and you're right, you sort of get that feeling um, that because of the you know, need for, for a cure here, a vaccine or, you know, whatever we can get, we're starting to see that biotech And you rush. start getting serendipity too, like, oh, our COVID, our COVID vaccine design didn't work, but you know, we just found out that it works on this. Mm, that's true. You know, so we have these secondary acts. And if the secondary or, or tertiary is young people saying, I'm going to go into therapeutics or I'm going yeah. to go into biotech. I'm all for that's it. That's the benefit of a bad situation. Yeah. You betcha. Okay. And finally, and you know, I've done this in the past, but Whenever I see an interesting new piece of technology that emerges briefly out of academia or the R&D labs of corporations, and it blows your mind, and then everybody forgets about it because there's no secondary story, no follow-up. And then 10 years later, it reemerges in practical use and changes our life. Well, here's another candidate. Uh, a team of physicists at uh, Johannes Gutenberg University in Mainz, Germany, has successfully transported light stored in quantum memory over a distance of just over a millimeter. If you can transport light in, uh, in that way, we may have, of course they had to super cool the atoms to do it, but you may achieve amazing amounts of storage uh, that'll last forever or damn near forever. This could be transformative in terms of how we store information. I think there's a lot of pressure if you're a student at Johannes Gutenberg <laughs> University. Yeah. Like Stanford is one thing, but if you're at Johannes yeah. Gutenberg, you, you better come out and be some something special, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And hey, good for them. <laughs> good for them. I hope it works. I mean, all these, I hope they work. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Time to buy your pumpkin, though you may be looking at it yourself. There may not be any trick-or-treaters <laughs> this year. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.